You're listening to Golf Yeah, your masterclass in the lives, lessons, and aspirations of people who've built successful businesses and rewarding careers based on their love for the game of golf. Whether it's the obstacles they faced, the success they've achieved, or advice they offer, Golf Yeah provides the motivation and blueprint to convert your passion for golf into a full or part-time endeavor. Or maybe you just enjoy hearing stories from people who know a hell of a lot about the game. Either way, let's start exploring the business side of golf with your host, Gordon Andrew. Contrary to popular advertising slogan, what happens in Vegas does not stay in Vegas, at least in terms of world-class golf instruction. Christopher Howard is a golf professional based out of Las Vegas Golf Club. He works with every level of player, from beginner to consulting with tour players. And in 20 years of teaching, he claims that there isn't a swing he hasn't seen, which includes my sad over-the-top beauty. And when he isn't posting instructions or analyzing his student swings online for his 24,000 Instagram followers, you can find Chris touring literally all over the world, teaching private lessons in his golf schools. And over the last seven years, he's hosted more than 650 golf schools, five different countries, and 200 cities. And that's a ton of frequent flyer miles, and a lot of golfers are willing to pay for the pro from Las Vegas. So, Christopher Howard, welcome to Golf Yeah. Thank you for having okay. me. Live, for Las, for live from Las Vegas. Do you go by Christopher, and, and why do you use that on your uh, as your brand? I have always said you can call me whatever you want as long as you pay me. <laughs> that's my slogan. I Generally, I go by Chris, anything sign. Not, half the time I get a – I'm just running around, people are like, see, Howard. I'm like, what's up? So. Chris works. It's easy. But, but you use Christopher in your branding, right? It's Christopher Howard Golf. Is you there know, Chris Howard out there? Is that what you're The sad thing is, so when I started collecting names for social media, I started out as Christopher Howard Golf. And then uh, my really good friend, Shaheen Nakshivani, and I were sitting there in Florida at a bar during a golf school like seven years ago. He was like, you need something catchy because he's S.H. Keen Golf. And I was like, all right, let's do it. So I uh, I started changing it to C. Howard Golf along the way. But then I ran into the fact that a problem that half of social media profiles C. Howard Golf are already taken. So it's like, uh-oh, what am I going to do? So now I'm kind of C. Howard Golf or Christopher Howard Golf, depending on <laughs> what social media app you're looking at. Let's back up a little bit. I didn't mean to get us going down that road too deeply. But let's start with your ba- with your backstory. You know where you grew up, uh, a little bit about your childhood. Did you have brothers and sisters? Where you went to school, that kind of stuff. I grew up in uh, Woodbridge, Virginia. Really, I lived in a few places before that, but you know, the heart of the growing up period was in Woodbridge, Virginia. No brothers, no sisters. Had the uh, the father that that played a little golf, which got me into golf. There you go. Pretty good upbringing. Where in Woodbridge, it was fun. Were you a good student? It depends on what part of my childhood you're looking at. There were <laughs> there were glimpses when it looked like I was going to be a Hall of Fame academic student, and there were glimpses where it was like, "What is that guy doing?" I have this is a true story. I have ADD, but if you give me something that I care about, you would never know. I am the most focused yeah. individual. Like when it comes to golf, I can sit there and talk golf swing for hours. But if you were to ask me something I don't really care about in school, you know, it's like, 
why is he staring at the wall again? Like, oh, he's out. <laughs> that was me. So, well, listen, <laughs> there are a lot of very successful people who have have and have had ADD, including guys like Charles Schwab. Yep. What basically they overcompensate. Yeah. They, they tend to be successful because they have to work harder to to get what they want. Sure. That may be the case with you. So, were you on, were you on the golf team at school? I was. I was. I played in in high school. I was. I did yeah. not go on and play college golf. I, I played hockey during the period that would be college. So, yeah, I want to talk about that a little later because I was listening to one of the other podcasts you gave two years ago, and you mentioned the, the hockey connection. I want to talk about that a little little bit later in terms of your philosophy of the sw- on the swing. Yeah. What What did you do after you got out of school? What, what was your career path? I played that junior hockey until I was 21. And then uh, I realized I was like, do I go back to college or not? And I decided not to, but I was interested in golf. So I started waiting tables and working at golf courses. I did that for about three years. And then I purely went on to teaching golf and in working in the golf industry. And it's led to where so, we're at now. So you, so you did go to college for a while. I went to junior yeah. college for a little while, and okay. then okay. I gave up very quickly. But you were playing. You were playing in a like a junior league ho- hockey team. Uh, yeah, I played. I played American juniors. So I played hockey competitively from eighteen to twenty one, and did uh, or eighteen to twenty, and uh, I did. Uh, junior college for a little while in the beginning of that, uh, but then that got too hard to juggle. So actually, I, I said it was too hard to juggle, but I did start working. Once I realized the dream was over, I started uh, working at the golf course while finishing up my obligations in juniors my last year. And uh, yeah, I didn't look back. Did Did you aspire to be a pro uh, hockey player at one point? Yes, I did. I I all so I mean. You know, the crazy thing when I was a kid, I didn't look at it as though I needed to be a professional hockey player. I I always wanted to find a way to be in sports. That's what I strived for as making a living. So, I mean, in terms of childhood goals, I I got them. I get to walk around and talk about golf swings all day and fly around. Like I, I have achieved everything I wanted as a kid. I thought it needed to be in the hockey route when I was 17. I was like, oh. I better figure this out or <laughs> I'm going to have a nine to five job, which for me personally, I know a lot of people are happy with it, but it would never have worked for me. Yeah. You were a goalie on the team. Is that what I understand? I was a goalie. Yes. Did you lose any teeth in that position? No, I still have all of my teeth. I, you know, my like last week I was like of playing hockey. I was like, yeah, I got it all. And we went out for a team picture and some guys were skating around, throwing pucks at the other end. And for the team picture, I didn't have my helmet on. And somehow I took a shot off the boards that just hit me right in the right side of my face and my grill. I was like, oh, God, I did it. I went my whole playing career, never lost a team. And somehow they were all in there. I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> all right. So you, you gave up on hockey then um, you have all your teeth. Tell me a little bit about your your uh, knocking on golf course doors. What did, where did you go and what was the reception? I mean, did you start essentially like raking traps and doing that kind of stuff? or? So my first golf course job was uh, was kind of fun. I volunteered out at a course called Forest Greens, and I still to this day when I'm out on tour teach there, I would sit in the woods on 18. I was a volunteer, and uh, 
but I was allowed to keep my tips. So I would sit there in the woods on 18 with a wet towel. And when all the guys would walk up to the 18th green, I'd sneak out, start scrubbing down their clubs. And then they'd come over and be like, I didn't even see this kid out here. <laughs> I'd get like 10, 20 uh, a group, and it was packed. So I'd make a lot of money. I was like, man, all these golf course guys must be rich. This is the way to go. And then, you know. This is a private no, this was a private club. It was a oh, oh, club. Okay. yeah, oh yeah. Okay. You could not sit there and be like, "Hi, sir, would you like your clubs washed?" They'd be like, "No," <laughs> but they wanted the service offered anyway. So I was, I, I quickly learned to go hide behind the trees and then walk out when they were up on the green and just make it very well aware of what you were doing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when they got back. So they were obliged to tip you. But then I, uh, I, I worked the. The cart boy route moved into the pro shop. Then I moved to New Orleans and I started over. That one was a lot quicker. In New Orleans, I found a lot of success. I, I started as a try like twenty five at this point. I did. Uh, I, I I went out. We'll, yeah, we'll when I moved to go. New Orleans, I moved through the ranks fairly quickly. I started out as a uh, cart guy there, and uh, um. Within about three weeks, they liked me so much, they moved me in the golf shop. And within about a month and a half, I was the first assistant. And then within about three months, I was the head pro. So that wow. was Seriously? yeah, that was a, a fast ascension. And that's when I started teaching, right? I didn't, I didn't okay. know what I wanted to do in the golf industry at all. Yeah. I became head pro and I went out and uh, we had a director of instruction, Jimmy Hedrick, who, uh, is a uh, legend in the PGA. He's won national award after national award for his uh, junior development program has been recognized, but he liked to teach kids and develop juniors. He didn't teach that many adults. So generally if adults would come around, I was the only one interested in teaching him. I had no background in teaching. So I got Jimmy to let me do his junior clinics with him so I could see how he taught. That was my introduction to teaching. Then I went at it hard. Right. I had had a glimpse of instruction when I was living in D.C. Um, at my first club, Four Screens. I, there was a junior program during the summer. I would go out for like an hour a week and babysit three to five year olds. So, no, it, I was teaching. But, you know, you kind of just like grabbed a club and put it in their hands and said, good luck. And then yeah, watched yeah. them run around and hit each other with the plastic clubs for an hour and went home. But my first real instruction was in new orleans and uh where it was serious and uh i loved it so much just dove into it and i think after about a week of doing it i went home and i watched literally probably nine hours a day of youtube videos on golf instruction and i mean yeah. you know this is this is 2007 2000 or 2006 2007 yeah and there were some but it's not like it is now where every yeah. single one of us is out there pumping out content constantly. Yeah. I think I probably watched every instruction video on the internet at that point in time. And, uh, I just worked hard to learn how to do it. And here we are. Who taught you how to play? Did your dad teach you the swing? I mean, what? <laughs> I was a hockey player and I yeah. was always an athlete and I was a baseball player. I didn't start playing golf until I was really like, I definitely didn't start taking it seriously until I was 13. I got pretty good pretty fast. But I remember as a kid just going out there with my dad and 
just wailing at the golf ball and hitting it and it would work. Okay. All right. So, You're a natural. I, so. I was kind of, I, and then, but then around 13, when I started taking it seriously, I got real lessons. You know, I, I got an instructor and he taught me and I went through multiple instructors as a high school player. So. Yeah. Or, or New Orleans, you, you skyrocketed. Uh, where'd you go from there? So after New Orleans, I mean, I taught there for, I, I worked at a golf course there for like seven, six, seven, eight years. I can't remember now. Oh, really? As the head, as the head golf professional, did you have your PGA card at that time? I was a uh, back in the old day. I was an apprentice, and then I lost my. I did not follow through on that route. No, no knock on the PGA. I just it it wasn't for me. Then I went to Florida, where I continued on with my apprenticeship slowly. And Florida was actually a, a, you know, this this will show you. If you have those young golf professional listeners that you have to, there can be a lot of struggles in this industry. So I moved to Florida. My ex-wife was getting her master's from the University of Miami. So that's why we went. I had called around and I got a teaching and assistant gig. The first assistant Mm -hmm. teaching gig at a place called Hollywood Lakes, I believe. I was told there was a driving range that I was going to be teaching on. And I took the job sight unseen. I showed up for my first day and they're like, yeah, you'll work behind the counter. You can get lessons. And then you teach them there. They pointed. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, that net. Oh, it was a net. <laughs> people into the net. I'm like, what? Yeah. That ain't going to work. So I quickly went home and I was like, this is going to be a short lived job. I had applied for right before I left the, the job at the Mikasuki golf course their head golf professional and their general manager job was open. And I wanted to be the head golf professional and teach and uh, put in my application before I moved. And that process started going where I was a series candidate right after I moved to Miami. So I had two dual things going on. I went over and started talking to all the golf courses and good friend of mine, awesome dude, Andy, Andy Forbes down at Normandy Shores brought me on. I was an assistant and in this thing, and I could teach at his range, beautiful range, fun court. Mm-hmm. So I got that job, and I started working there. So the, the first job lasted a week. Now I'm working for Andy, and I'm there for three weeks, maybe. That was a great job. He was a great boss. That was a lot of fun. It might have been, been a month and a half, maybe. But then I finally get the Mikasuki head pro job. I'm like, sweet. Put in my two weeks. We start up over there. I go in. There's no GM yet. So I start. I'm in my first week. And then the GM's hired. I knew where this is going. Yeah. He comes <laughs> in and uh, we work together for like a day. And he's like, you know, I'm going to bring in my own people. Thanks for working here. And I'm like, wow. Just instantly. I, I think I yeah. lasted maybe four days, five days there. Mm-hmm. So now I just have no job. I'm like, great. I go on and everyone sees me. I still do my golf, a golf school with them every year. I go up to a Jacaranda golf club in plantation mm-hmm. and I talk to my buddy, Andrew, Andrew Michael, and he gives me a job where I work a few days a week in the shop and I can just teach golf. And I started teaching a ton up there. I stuck there the whole two years I lived in, in the Miami area with him okay. after a very turbulent first two months. The rest okay. of the time I was teaching with him and I had a 
and it was an amazing experience with working with him. He, true friend, oh, that, great, great boss. Well, that was a, a long, elaborate story, but but I'm glad you told it because to your point, you know, guys that start out looking for a job in the golf industry as a, as a, either a teaching pro or a or a full or a head pro, it, it's no straight line. Even when you think you you have to your you know when you had that job that lasted four days, even when you think you have something great going, yeah, shit can hit the fan at any at any time. I think when I got that job, though, I think I knew it was too good to be true. It was a head pro job that was like teaching that was like ninety something thousand dollars a year. Yeah, and we all know circa two thousand fourteen teaching jobs at golf courses that didn't have a lot of play you know, we're not paying $90,000 a year. And I think he came in and was like, eh, let's, let's, let's recycle this idea. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it used to be, and I'm using, you know, referencing, like when I belonged to a private club in Connecticut, I was friends with the assistant pro. And at that time, the pro would get not only a salary, but he would get a money from carts and commission on sales. Yep. But now these clubs have all taken that back. Absolutely. Right? I mean, they, they've, they've really pared down what they pay. Absolutely. They pros teaching pros, yeah. If you were to go to your average course around the country, you have to pay the course to be teaching. Like that business model has completely flipped. If you find one where you get a salary and you're allowed to teach and keep the money on the side, you're very, very lucky. I would not be leaving yeah. that job. <laughs> Thanks for that story. Let me, let me, uh, what? Why did you? At what point did you decide to uh, to start your own coaching business? You left that when you left that place, that Hollywood gig. Oh, I had been teaching forever, and the full on just me show has been happening for about six years now here in Vegas. So I moved to Vegas from my ex wife took a job at Allegiant and quickly became my ex wife after we moved here. But I, when we moved out here, I took a job teaching for Tom Carlson, great instructor, Pat, Scott Piercy, got a lot of college players. It was, it was a good last teaching for someone job. Mm -hmm. I did that for like a year and a half out here at Angel Park. And then I was like, you know what? I have been teaching so long. I'm starting to get a lot of followers. People are paying attention to what I say. It's time to go out on my own. So then I went down to Las Vegas Golf Club where I'm at now, started my own show, rented out the back. and. It's been nice to not have to answer to anyone for your teaching philosophies because I've kind of been along the, the new wave of instruction in terms of shaft calm movement, rotation of the body. When you are teaching with people who believe in everything that was told from the 80s and you have completely different concepts, it can be a lot of questions of you walk in there and you have this, you teach this guy and you have this great lesson. And these high school kids are just roping out there and they're like, I heard you talking about how you wanted the club head to fall down behind him. And I saw you doing a feel where you had the club head back behind his ass. What What are you doing yeah. when you're teaching these lessons? And it's just, and sitting there and having to explain after you explain to a student for an hour what, what you're yeah. trying to achieve and then have to explain to someone else the craziness that you're doing. I got tired of doing that. So I just started my own gig. So I, could explain to myself. Okay, so it, your your gig at, at Las Vegas Golf Club. First of all, is that a private course? Uh, no, is private? it is. It is affectionately called Muni. Okay, so you're not competing against any pro or teaching staff, right? Or do you do you pay to have a stall to? 
I, so I, so you know, Las Vegas Golf Club has a gorgeous teaching facility at the back of the range. There's a couple other instructors here um, that teach with that. You know, I have a, I have a guy on staff, and then there's a couple other teachers that also leave spots from the golf course. But we have a gorgeous practice facility, teaching area in the back of the driving range. It's all grass, bunkers, multiple greens. Great facility for for a muni. It is a, a awesome golf course. So does it does it get a lot of play? Yes, it does. It's it's probably arguably the most popular course in Las Vegas with locals. I'd say it and Angel Park are just always slammed. It's it's one of the most popular courses that you can find, and people here absolutely love it. It's 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 a cool course. Doesn't necessarily feel like you're in Las Vegas, Muni and. Shadow Creek give you that feel where everything else is desert golf. This one, right. you're just like, hey, I could be in New York right now. Okay, if you're playing, a, if you're teaching out of a muni, does that limit the your clientele in terms of the capacity to to pay? I mean, do you get any high rollers that I get tons of? So that's I, I've had that conversation before. It's weird. Like, first of all, I have the following on social media that I'm going to get high rollers that could come to me no matter where I teach. But Muni gets high rollers in Vegas just because of how famous it is. There, there's a lot of people, like there are a lot of athletes that roll down to that course and play over the course of the week. A lot of famous people will be oh, really? wandering through there. I mean, yeah, it's it's the oldest course in Vegas. We we host the we hosted the State Am last year. We always host the City Am. People just love that golf course. Affectionately, look, yeah. call it Muni, right? Everyone knows what Muni is. So it's different than your traditional local Muni. And it's in great okay. shape. Who designed it? Do you know? I don't know. It was the first course in Nevada. Don't quote me on like that. Like in the 20s or 30s? Yeah. Old, maybe? Yeah. Okay. They have pictures of it hanging out out there. And I'm like, ooh, that was back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Is it a tough course? What, what's the slope rating from the Whites say? You know? I don't know. I here's I I, I mean I, play play there? I can I can I, I don't know the actual numbers. I'm not in the golf shop, so I don't I just show up each and play. But uh it's not a tough course. No. Muni is a course that is perfect for the beginner golfer. I will say there there's trouble, but your average golfer is hitting a slice. Just the <laughs> right. way it is, right? Right. Las Vegas Golf Club is a course and and it frustrates me because i draw slash my miss is a hook about half the holes there you could hit the ball four fairways over to the right and survive you got a shot back yeah yep. okay the second yeah. you miss it by 10 yards left you're in a backyard or <laughs> you know a road and it's the most frustrating thing i can ever see because i'll take clients out there and i'll be cruising along i'll be like one under after three and i'll just on four i'll just pipe it down this massive street in Vegas, and they'll be like four fairways over, and be like, <laughs> "Beat you!" I'm like, "Yeah." Thanks. So you, you looked at a lot of uh, online golfers. I mean, yeah. to your point before online golf was really as big as it is today. Did you model your business or your teaching approach based on any one or particular players that you saw at that point in time? I am gonna say I was. I originally went, you know, the online lesson route which was modeled after tons of players or coaches doing that. And then I, I, I didn't like that form of teaching, right? Because I would give you a lesson and then uh, 
I'd send you a bunch of feedback and that would be it. So I, I changed the online format and, and started doing FaceTime lessons. And I was one of the, the first ones that really went out there and did that to the masses. There were a lot of, I, I watched coaches, my buddies teaching, doing that and interacting with tour players, but there wasn't really a lot of FaceTime work with, you know, the regular player. I felt that doing FaceTime lessons with someone like you would be great because I can get the same feedback right? having an in-person one-on-one and I'm not guessing like I am with a FaceTime or with a, with a lesson. Like I'm not guessing on whether something will connect to you. I can watch you do it. It was real time. Yeah, it was real time. So that's, that's why I went that route. I mean, I get why people like those online lessons. You can literally sit there at two o'clock in the morning and bang them out and not be, worried about time, not be held to a schedule, yeah. you know, I just didn't get the same results out of them. So I stopped. Well, how, okay. Your FaceTime lessons, uh, just for people that haven't seen your stuff, because you do other, other types of lessons that we'll talk about, but your FaceTime lessons are, you see the guy real time st- standing at the, at the, on a tee, a tee box, and you have the camera, your camera set up in back of him or her, right? Or, you or can see side. Or on the side. Yeah. And you're talking to them real time as they're hitting hitting balls, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So I so the, I have them. The only, there. The only thing that's missing is you can't actually physically, you know, hold their arm back or grab the club and, you know, have them feel where Correct. it should be. Correct. I have to give them feels and tell them how to move and go through trial by but I have them periodically throughout the lesson send me slow motion based on and down the lines, which you can do fairly quickly if you get used to it. it. Takes about a minute out of the lesson, and that way I can see where they're actually moving with their golf swing in slow motion, like I would recording and putting it in, you know, three D here in Vegas to look at a swing. So yeah. Now then you you also give in person lessons at at Las Vegas, at Las Vegas Golf Club. Yes. You know, you're, you're standing there and working with them. And then you also, when did you start your schools, your tour? Your, you've been all over the world. Okay. My favorite you go, New York, where we've worked together. But, uh, yes, you've given me two lessons. And yep. God, and my handicap went from 30 to two in like two lessons. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Plus I, two, actually. I started doing that. I am now on my, God, I'm coming up on my eighth year of touring. In the beginning, I did a mix of, Golf schools, and then I'd fly and do private lessons. Now it's only golf schools, but I've now done golf schools in like close to 30 countries. I'd, I have to count that exactly, but I've also done them on four continents around the world, which yeah. is a pretty crazy experience. If I look back 10 years ago, sitting in Florida, trying to uh, figure out how I could get enough students to teach for a living that I'd be you know, here where I was able to do that. So it's yeah. really cool. Just so let's listeners understand, I mean, you you pick any a region. I noticed that you've just posted you're going to do like a summer region in my area, right? Yep. And you pick like cities within a certain geographic area, and then you 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 book it. Do you even have to book spots at a local driving range, or do you just show up and tell them you're going to be? Oh, I arrange with the golf course. In it okay. Began. I okay. mean, a golf school is a big, a, a fairly big operation. They need to know. I, I I have my assistant that goes and travels with me. Keeps me stocked, records everything, helps right. me with the players that need extra hands-on. You know, when you're dealing with five people at a time, you got to find a way to manage time and get people working on what you need. And if there's a player who's struggling with something, 
my assistant, Max. You've met Max, correct? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I think so. He, uh, he's been with me for years. He was definitely there for one of the times I typed, but, uh, I send him around and, and he's just like on it. And I'll be like, yo, I need you to fix that guy's hips. And I'll tell the player what we're going to do. And he will just sit behind him and grab that guy's hips and put it in a proper position until the player learns the feel. But it's a big operation. So that course needs oh, a lot to of go with. Yeah. It's a, lot, a lot of logistics. But you go, just to finish the description, you go to areas and then you go to cities within those areas and you book days, people in time slots. You stay, they come to you at a particular yeah. location. Right. Yeah. So I used to do only private lessons where I'd set up and I'd be like, I'd have the 9 to 1030, 1030 to 12, 12 to. Yeah. Now I I just do the school format where I'm like, hey, I have five people. I have five available. I start at 10 o'clock. I'm going till 430. That is that's my new new format. So the people will be with me all day. I track my metrics, my game improvement metrics. I reach out to players and. I take about half the players I teach on a given tour, whatever it's going to be, and I pre-select them, and I ask them what their handicap is when they start, and then two months later, what it's gone down. I track metrics and everything I do to see how much improvement I'm getting, and I started noticing I was getting more improvement out of my schools, and at first, I thought, that's weird. You'd think one-on-one yeah. for an hour and a half would get you more than a golf school, and then I realized... I mean, the key to being able to, if you only have one day with these people, the key to being able to improve somebody, a description of our lessons back in the day in New York, you would sit down and we would work on your full swing for an hour and a half, and then someone new would come in. If we didn't, and and we did connect, I, I saw you hit the ball pretty well leaving out of there. If we didn't connect on that theory, on that swing theory, if it was a miss, that I didn't do anything to get you better. Sucks. I'll see you next year. Right. Um, But when I'm doing a golf school, I can hit so many different parts of the game. And I have become so good at this point. When you show up, I'm going to do full swing first. I'm going to look for two parts of your swing that I can quickly attack and fix. I'm going to find the root cause of your issues and attack that right away. And then I'll work up and down the line. And I'm going to come back to you if I have to sick max on you to get the position down i will if you get it i'll move on to something else and try and combine to get better but i know i'm going to be able to get something out of full swing but if for some reason i don't then we're going to go on to driver you know hey you've been hitting down on it you know five degrees now i have you hitting up you just got more distance okay so i finally connected on something i got you a little better then you know we're going to move on to wedges short game putting course management, there are going to be a couple things I connect on with you. And it's going to take strokes off your handicap in that format. And if somehow, and it happens, you know, it, I'd say it happens if I'm out there teaching every, every day of the week, it'll happen once or twice a week where you have that player where just everything connects and you get a guy who's a 25 handicap. And then you talk to him two months later and now he's a seven cut his handicap and now he's a good golfer because every piece connected with that guy and it's it's not every day but it happens those are fun and and you can't get that unless you're in a golf school format do you you have a pretty broad range of skill level i mean do you have like a newcomer and then like a 
mid handicapper and how do you handle that? You know, I mean, it, it might, there's a giant skill range in my golf schools. I, I just booked a guy this morning for one of my golf schools and he was like, I've never broken a hundred. And then last night when I was waiting in the lounge to get on my plane, I booked a guy who's a plus two, same golf school. So yeah. there's a huge skill range, but the way I have it set up, it's all individualized enough that okay. it doesn't matter what they are. I'm giving you specific tips for your game. Like I will bring the like with short game. I will bring the group together and I'll give like a four minute talk right. about bounce. But then I'll set you guys up and I'll, I'll explain the theory of bounce. You know, this is this is my last format. I've changed it up since then, but I, I explain what bounce is. And then I'd get the player, they'd come over to me and they'd all line up and they'd all start trying to use the bounce. Well, everyone's going to have different issues in their chipping game. Like 30 handicaps is going to be way different than a plus two. But I could work up and down that line. You're using different wedges and stuff, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. It's all individualized when you get down to it. So it doesn't matter. Let's talk a little bit about your your videos, your online videos, because it seems like you, first of all, you've increased production of them exponentially in the in the recent uh, yes. past yeah. months. I have a theory in this, and I'll tell you after you tell me what you think. What do you think is unique about your videos compared with others that are on the internet? I would love to hear your, your thought. On I want to hear, hear yours. No, I, I, I mean, I go out there and I try and pop out as much information as, as I possibly can. I do a lot of my teaching where I record lessons of me teaching. I used to watch, there's been multiple people who have done that concept. That's not a new concept. But uh, I used to watch George Gankus a lot on YouTube. And I'd watch him, his teaching videos, where he was actually working with students. And I was like, this is fascinating as a coach. And I wanted to do that. So I have a format where I put those videos out. Then I had a team that told me I had to start talking about the golf swing. So my advisors told me to do that. So I started doing that. And one part of my social media that will always be there, because I started Instagram in Florida a long time ago with the goal of tracking my players. I wanted my players to have a place that they could go back, look at their swings from week to week to week to week to week and see how much they've improved. And that was the whole point of social media in the beginning. And there will always be an element where I am showing off my players. I have a similar point of view on it. I'd never, I had never heard of George Genkis before, but I will tell you, I, I watch quite a bit of online videos. What keep me, keeps me coming back to looking at your stuff is, first of all, you've, you film your students, you, you, you video your, your students as you're giving them the lessons and you're manipulating them. And, and I'm looking at them and many of them have swings that are worse than mine. You know, but it, but it, yeah. it's fascinating and interesting to watch. I think other people struggle with this, with the swing, you know, yeah. watching a video of a guy who's selling lessons, he's a, he's a coach. And, and of course he's got a perfect swing and he may try, he may try to emulate a crappy swing, but he can't really, he can't even really do it because if they're, if a good swing is ingrained in you, it's tough to, to do it you know, sure. correctly. But watching your, your, your students and many of them are like, 
it looks like you just picked them off a bus. You know what I mean? Like they've never, they've never had a club in their hand. And you're like, right? and they're like swinging like a baseball bat or this, you know what I mean? And you're starting with like this raw piece of clay. And I think it's interesting to watch. And it, it's instructive also because I see a lot of my errors in them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it just makes them more human, makes them more real. And I, and I do notice that your advisors, someone had told you to do more instructional stuff now without, you know, without students. But I think, don't lose that. Don't lose those videos of students because I think oh, it's, it's fun to watch. It's funny you brought that up because I had a conversation with Max, um, my assistant, a while ago. And I forget exactly what city we were in. But uh, we had four players and three of them were absolute sticks, like plus handicaps, really good players. And I posted a video of a swing. The 25 handicap made. I did a little before and after because it looked better. I think it was in New York. And Max was like, dude, you'll get more tour players and stuff like that. Like I get I get really good players that come out to me. But he's like, if you just posted good players, you'd you'd just be working with college players and stuff like that. Custom. I was like, I don't want to. I, I like working <laughs> with the everyday player. I thoroughly enjoy like I don't get me wrong, I love working with really talented yeah. players and Lampy and you know, Max, yeah. Nick, and all those guys. I love teaching really good players, but I get a lot of joy. There, you really feel accomplished when you get yeah. that guy and you take him from a 27 to an 11 when you hear from him a month and a half, two months after golf school and he tells you how much he's approved. You yeah. really feel proud of that. Yeah, I, I don't agree with Max because, I mean, the degree of changes you can make with a, a you know a single-digit handicapper are really discreet. You know, you may say, look at Buddy, you know, your wrist, and you know, on your downswing is just, you're not, you're doing this. And then you make a small adjustment and then he's back to wherever yeah. he should be. But, yes. But with somebody starting over or the high handicapper, you can make some really large changes to make significant improvements. And watching that is more fun than watching somebody that already has a really well grooved swing, you know, and just so great. So you get them to hit it 300 yards rather than 290. Yeah. Who gives a shit? You know? Yeah. But the money. When you get down to instruction, if you yeah. can go get yourself a tour player, then everyone's going to pay you a fortune for it. And, yeah. you know, don't get me wrong. I My golf schools are not cheap. I do well enough. But if, if you yeah. want to be that multi-multi-millionaire Sean Foley type, you got to go get yourself a, a couple tour players. Yeah. Well, how do you, how do you break into that? I mean, do you, do you get to watch the Hank Haney's and the Ledbetter's? And, and, I mean, they can't have a technique that's that different than anybody else, right? I mean, I would think that no. the value of coaching a tour player is as much mental and, and kind of conversational connection than it is the actual changes you're making to their swing, you know? 100%. 100%. If you look at tour instruction, and I've worked with several mini tour players, I've worked with a lot of players, you have to be very careful when you're working with high-level players on what you're trying to get done. If you go ahead and you make too big a drastic movement changes, you can absolutely ruin their career and ruin your. Yeah. I think a lot of tour coaches are afraid to make big moves and will more or less get into mentality work. And I think that's what a lot of those tour guys yeah. want, right? They'll give a feel to get them back to baseline. Like if you look at Mark Blackburn, he, he down in Alabama, he's a guy I have tremendous respect for you see him always talking about baseline right measuring baseline 
And he will find when a tour player is playing their best golf and work to keep them there. He talks about it. And I think that is the concept of tour instruction. You don't want to take a big risk and be like, hmm, I think I could completely change your swing. And you're going to come out on the other side a better golfer. Yeah, three years from now. Yeah, three years from now. Yeah, three years from now, you're going to be a better golfer. And you tell that to the guy who's number 40 in the world making millions of dollars. And then you take him where he can't, you know, break 75 anymore and destroy him. No one would ever do that. Like, I look at, I look at, let's look at a Phil Mickelson, right? That dude gets really narrow, steep, flippy through impact. If Phil were to come out for me for a lesson, do you think I'm going to go after that pattern that he's done for for 40 years? No, you know, so. Or or Fred Couples, because, you know, you dissect his backswing and you go, there's yeah. no way he's going to make contact with the ball. And it, yeah. it's so pure coming through it. You know, you can't, have, you can't change that. Nope. There's way too much money to be lost by oh, making yeah. a, a change and not enough money to be gained. Let, let's talk about the swing for a little bit. Um, I mean, you see a lot of the newbies or struggling golfers, occasional players. I mean, what what are the top three most common errors that you that you see immediately and the, and that you need to fix for, for golfers listening, you know, <laughs> you know what's the magic formula, uh, Chris, that I can use to change my fix my swing. I would say that I mean, if we're talking to the average high handicapper, lack of turn in the body in the backswing, bad wrist angles, and lack of depth at the top of the the backside. I know that goes into turn, but getting the the arms and and body turning properly, teaching the wrist to match up with the grip and uh, get into a bit, a good position at the top. Those are your, your three things, control arms, turn and hands. I think there's a lot of uh, balance points issues that players struggle with. That would be number two. I I, I combine all the first three together. And Did you say balance? Did you say balance issues? Balance issues. Yep. Okay. Pressure's moving all over the place where it shouldn't be. And I'll say the number one thing that I see around this world with, with the average player is a lack of understanding of how to start your backswing by keeping the arms properly connected to the body. I see it's it's half and half. I see half of players not moving their chest at all and just throwing their hands behind them, getting the club head so far behind them that they have zero chance. The other player lift their arms straight out towards the golf ball in the beginning of their backswing and just completely lose all connection there. That's yeah. the, the third big oopsie I see a lot of. One of the things you taught me that I, that I still think about in my backswing, because because I was coming in too, you know, I was coming in too far on, on my backswing and, and you had me, you know, extending down the line. And it feels, it always feels to me like I'm way too far. Mm-hmm. But, but when I hit it really well, that's, I do that because I have, I've extended fully rather than inside. Yep. Um, and it, what it's taught me is very often on the swing, what you think you're feeling is not really what's happening. You know Correct. what I mean? Correct. <laughs> yeah, finding a feel and finding a real is 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 uh something that gets me yelled at on social media all the time um but uh with a player you have to tell a player what you want them to do so they understand it 
And then you have to find a way to give them the feel to actually get into that position. The feels sometimes can be pretty out there and crazy. And uh, I've given some pretty outlandish feels in my day. And uh, I've been torn apart from like, that would never work by my social media followers, but they can work. So you're producing like four to five videos a week. Is that right? Yes. That must well, be a grind. Well, well, hold on. Long form videos. I'm doing four long yeah. form YouTube videos. Right. Yeah, but I pop three short, short pieces of content out per day on everything else. Wow. Do you have a full-time photographer that does that for you? Or you just set up your own camera? I mean, how do you manage that? I have old Maxie Cooper, the assistant who needs beer money in college, even though oh, okay. he, uh, <laughs> he does, uh, he does everything for me when he's in town. We film. So, I mean, one of the things that I'm looking to change, especially going into the summer is I need to find a way to film my own stuff. So okay. I bulk film all of my content and it's so much work. Like I'm currently bulk filming and we were talking about trying to get it in before Christmas. I right. bulk filmed six months worth of YouTube videos and that's every day filming six hours a day, teaching after that and then doing all your other work. Like there's no time. I, I want to, once he gets done with college, be able to get onto a schedule where I can do a couple videos a week and then he can edit them. And then we put them out the following week. I don't want to be in this cycle where I boom, film everything and then take yeah. the month off. How, how do you, I mean, you must run out of topics because there's only so only so many things you can teach, right? I mean, yeah. how, how do you come up with new things to talk about, you know? So I think when you're talking about advanced golf swing theory, there's limitless topics. You can find something that you, that's out there. Now, I have to be in a position where I'm putting in advanced stuff and I'm putting in very basic stuff to appeal to the basic audience. So yeah, yeah. the slice cure, the hook cure, when you're looking at big topics like that, guess what? You're going to be recycling some. So just putting them out in a different way that will maybe connect with different audiences. There's a million different reasons. I mean, people slice. The, the fact is the club face is open to the path, but that could occur because of so many different reasons. You can find new reasons to talk about in a slice video. Yeah. When, when you give lessons uh, in another country, is there a language problem? E, so that's a funny story. I was telling that to somebody yesterday. I, uh, I don't really get into language barriers. People who are buying and are booking into my schools understand English, but there are parts of my golf schools that are scripted out. Right. Like I will say the same thing in every school for a year and then I'll come out with a new format. So like if we were talking about bounce before I went and worked on using bounce individually with you, I would give a four or five minute talk about bounce. I say the same thing in every school for a year and then I shoot a special on it. I have jokes that are barely funny in America <laughs> that are, you know, written into those scripts. And they could get a they could get a chuckle or two here, or but, crickets. Yeah, you go out to like Korea, and I had an OnlyFans joke or, or an Only Feet joke because I was talking about power from the ground up, and we we're talking about flexing and gripping into the ground. Everyone in America would laugh. That was my best one I had. And then I went over to Korea, and w once it's written, it's staying in there, right? I I, I can't I can't switch it up. Yeah, right, and. uh I go over there and it's just no one has a clue what uh, OnlyFans is. And 
when I say OnlyFeed, everyone's just like, huh? Uh? No yeah. connection at all. And I noticed that in Europe and Korea, my jokes, they are not landing. Are, are there any nationalities uh, that are tougher to teach, not because of language, but because they just aren't, they're tougher to teach, you know, and they don't, not as receptive to direction? I think everyone who's ever come out for one of my golf school is there because they want to learn. They've watched my stuff. They like my yeah. stuff and they say, I want to get better. So, yeah. Yeah. Before, before I forget it. So one of your videos was penthouse pet of the month. You said, and you mentioned it was a series, but I can only find one. Mm -hmm. Was that, just, was that a joke? I have definitely taught and I will be teaching her again this week. Amber Rose. Um, Amber Rose. I, That's what it was. It was Amber Rose. Yeah, I I have quite a few models in Vegas. I mean, Vegas is definitely a city that has a high yeah. amount of model to regular person proportion there. So I I get quite a few of them that come out to my lesson tee. Um, the Platinum Tee models. There, there. It's a caddy service you can get in Vegas. They're they're a lot of fun if you're out there with your buddies drinking. You coming in playing golf, get a bunch of pretty girls to caddy for you. I I teach. A significant amount of those ladies, so she's not alone. <laughs> okay, it was the only one I could find, and believe me, I, I looked for others. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't looking for the golf swing either. Um, in order to drive business to to your work at at the club, do you like establish relationships with uh, doormen and concierges at hotels to direct business your way? Can, do you do that or no? No, I uh, I'm purely. Social media. I I have other people that teach for me. They're at varying price points. So the people that call my course looking for lessons, I generally would put with them. Now, most of the lessons you see, the student lessons, in person lessons, are full swing. Do mm -hmm. you, do you give uh, any? Do you video any chipping or any short game lessons, putting and bunker play and that kind of stuff? I haven't seen uh, any. There, there are a few up there, but. Yeah. The fact that you said you haven't seen any is a very appropriate answer. They never get any views. When I start, when I do a full form video, like, I mean, I'm averaging, I think we we're talking to Max, but I'm averaging like a little over a thousand views per long form video on yeah. YouTube right now. My last three putting and wedge videos on YouTube have averaged less than 60 views. So wow. I am very well aware that no one wants to hear me talking about putting or chipping. So I will stay in my lane and keep talking about full swing. Well, but that raises a whole other a topic, Harry, that I want to ask you about, which is there was an article in, in the Wall Street Journal a few weeks ago that said that the number of people that come to golf just to whack balls at top golf or at a driving range have now surpassed the number of people who actually play 18 holes. Yes. Do you find that to be true also? Just people want to whack balls and really don't want to know, know the whole game? Not coming out to see me, but I, I've seen those stats. I I know that golf is at a outlandish rate of new players joining us, right? Yeah. But And don't get me wrong, the playing golf concept is still doing very, very, very well. Okay. But top golf i will i will say the, the the few the few times i've run into that would be my instagram models that come on out for a lesson and book one you know okay a lot of them are doing it because they want to be the golf influencer and yeah. uh, they get a lot yeah. of attention from it and uh like page serenade 
Yeah. Well, shoot. She is an influence group. But she is a good player. I, I know it. You know what? I got to tell you, and I know this as sexist as this sounds. I mean, when I first saw her, I'm like, oh, who is this bimbo? She can't hit the golf ball. And then I saw her hit a couple a couple balls. I was like, holy shit. She, yeah. she could she be won, She won professionally. That's how she's marketing herself, right? Yeah. But she is a absolute stick, and people should remember that. about If you can win at a professional level, at any level, yeah, in men's or women's golf, you deserve to be looked at with a ton of respect. It is not easy to do, even if it's the miniest of mini tours. So props to her. Um, let's just talk about COVID for a second, you, which almost killed you, by the way, because about the time <laughs> I was taking a lesson from you, you, you had COVID, and you were in the hospital with it, right? I, no, I, it wasn't COVID that almost got me. I was out on tour, and uh, I was coming up to see you, actually. I had gotten done with my D.C. school, and it was crazy. So I started out in Atlanta and worked my way up, and I had taken the vaccine about 11, 12 days before the tour, maybe a little less than mm-hmm. like seven, eight days. And I flew out to Atlanta, got through Atlanta fine. I was in Charlotte, and I, and I bent over to put a golf ball on the ground, and I felt this, my heart just going out of control. I was like, oh, that's yeah. weird. Didn't feel it again for a while. Bent over one more time at the end of the day, and it happened again. Then uh, I get on a plane, fly to D.C., everything seems fine. Then I wake up in the morning, and I'm laying there, and my heart's just feeling all crazy. Then I stand up, everything's fine. I'm an idiot. I should have gotten checked by now, but I didn't. And uh, I go out, teach a whole D.C. golf school, get on the train, go up to New York, get to the hotel, lay down. And when I lay down, my heart just starts rapid firing. I'm like, okay, something's wrong. And it's an irregular feeling heartbeat, right? right. It's bum, 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 I go to the hospital and I got a blood clot in my lungs. Oh, that's right. It was from, blood the, from the vaccine. So the vaccine almost got me. Every time I've, wow. I've had COVID now, like I had it before I took the vaccine. It was just a little cough for me. I've had it like seven times. Wow. It, wasn't, okay. it wasn't COVID. It was the vaccine that almost got me. And and I know, uh, you know, I've read a lot about how COVID kind of drove a spike in interest in golf and all that stuff. Because you've been teaching a long time. Have you seen any trends in who's coming to golf, uh, men, women balance? Um, what have you seen that, that's of interest over the past, like, say, 10 years? I, I would say since COVID, this is a new one. I have multiple golf schools that are all female. Okay. <laughs> that did not happen before COVID. And it's not necessarily the old country club viewed women. It's young women um, yeah. who are really interested in the game. You know, yeah. they're not out there just to hang with the gals. They're, they're like, yo, I want to, I, I want to kick ass. I want to play good yeah. golf. I'm like, all right, yeah. that's cool. So that's new. I mean, I know they existed before COVID, but the amount is new now. Um, I would say a lot of people are willing, more people are willing to invest to improve faster in golf. Yeah. But saying that pre-COVID, like you're, you're a pretty good player. I, I taught you before COVID the first time, and uh, you were pretty average for the type of player I'd be working with. I did not get a lot of beginners coming out for lessons with me. They were all yeah. people who love golf and were into it. Yeah. And then after COVID, I noticed it quick too. Cause I, I never really took a break for COVID. I got COVID early on. Yeah. Like, now I'm getting back on a plane. I'm going out there. People are going to feel comfortable taking lessons from me. Cause it's outdoors. <laughs> the only, I got, I got yelled at by somebody for teaching. 
the day I taught you, the only time I ever got anything during COVID, uh, you were like middle of the day. At the end of the day, I'm like grabbing somebody's club to show them a position. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. And some random golfer, like eight stalls down, pulls down his N95 mask that he's in he golf with and just screams across the driving range, you're going to kill everyone. I'm like, ah! Oh, I'm, I'm in New York now. So, other than that, I mean, I started to notice when I was doing the schools instantly pre COVID or post COVID that uh, people were willing to go out and spend the money to get better. Like, okay. it was a great thing. And it's been a lot of fun for me because I do enjoy teaching somebody who's new to the game. Because, like we talked about, that improvement you will see. Let's talk a little bit about the game. Do you have a point of view on the, on the live? debacle that's taking yeah. place all the politics that are sure I, I think i i have i have a couple thoughts on that first off anything that's bringing more money to professional golfers i support so i like that they're getting paid i look at live and i look at like my childhood as a golf fan okay i used to love going up to the pga tour event in dc and you would have Phil Mickelson teeing off in the morning. And me and my dad would walk all 18 holes with Phil because Phil was my favorite player as a kid. Yeah. I'd watch him play. Then we'd go get a quick lunch. And then Tiger Woods would be teeing off. And you'd go watch him play 18 holes. I mean, Tiger was tough. So we usually watch nine. Then we go watch like Ernie and all those guys yeah. playing a little bit. And you could catch some holes out there all day. If Liv wins, that's done. 54 hole or, right. uh, or shotgun yeah. start. You know, yeah. 54 players, whatever, all forget about it. It's not going to be that experience. Like if you go and you want to watch Phil play, you go watch him play three holes and then you walk an hour and a half across the entire golf right. course to go watch Dustin Johnson play three holes. And it's like time to go. I think live is probably an amazing product for businesses that want to come together and watch people play golf and drink for four hours yeah. and sell your product to each other. I think it's, you know, the hospitality tents of the PGA Tour were that same concept. But, you know, yeah. I think I think it's probably good for that. But the concept of having a shotgun start on the final day of a tournament just blows my mind. Like yeah. one of the great things is, is watching your favorite players like Phil's making a run. He's on 14. Let's see. Three back. He's got 15, 16, 17. You're watching the leader on, on 17. It's like, OK, if he doesn't birdie here. You know, Phil's got a chance that that's done. You can have you, you, you can't watch that in person. And, and and it's really hard to watch on TV. But like the winner could be on the seventh hole. Right. Like, well, the format. Yeah, the format sucks. And I, and I think that's going to be the death of live. Yeah. I don't think live is going away because they got so much money. Yes. But I do think that format, nobody, the format is just not engaging, like you've said. No. Um, so, so I just don't know how it's all going to sort out. I, I don't blame the, the players going for the big bucks, no. I guess. I get it, but, too. It, it, it's, you know, it's, I think it's one of those things is like, do you want a legacy as one of the great players or do you want to get paid? Now, a Phil Mickelson, I get that. I mean, he could still play in his major. So if he could pull magic once again and get like a, a win, then. But he doesn't care about Champions Tour wins. He was just out there for fun so he could play with the boys. He just got paid a ton of money. But I get $600 million. But John Rahm will be forgotten yeah. real fast. It, it's crazy. 
you can ask these kids, and I'll give the tour marketing machine credit. You'd think the Saudi marketing machine would be able to beat them, but kids are now bringing up golfers on the PGA Tour that you would have never heard of before, and no one's talking about, you know, Kepka that that I hear about or any of that. I mean, I'm sure they're still in the news, but it's nuts how how golf has changed, and I don't think any of those guys would regret the guaranteed bucks they got, but uh, yeah. we'll see. They lose on spotlight. Do, do you have a point of view quickly on the uh, the change in the size of the golf ball? I mean, the uh, distance, which actually they're not going to institute until what, 2028? Yeah, it's going to be a while. I don't think it's good. I think the, the PGA and the USGA, USGA specifically, is afraid of low scores, whereas we, the fans, want to watch these players do insane things that we can't dream of doing. So taking away their ability to do insane things that we can't dream of doing and making it harder on us is just a bad decision. Yeah. When you go on your tours to different countries, do you get to play local courses? Uh, I'll play a part three or two. I, Depending on how I feel, I blew out my back in Houston like three years ago. Wow. Playing all nine with them, so I was like, I can't do that one again. That is not fun when you're out on tour to blow out a back. So I'll play a part three or two, and if I'm really feeling loose, I'll play a few holes. But yeah, I, I, I get a couple holes in around the world. I know. I know. One of the things that I, I listened to that podcast you did with uh, with your friend two years ago, and it, the topic that I thought was interesting was because I've always wondered about this: is does a coach, does a golf coach, have to be a good player? To be a good coach, you know, yeah. and my understanding of your point of view was no. Matter of fact, you can be a great coach, not be a sucky player, but you don't need yeah. to be a, a you know, yeah. a digit guy. Um, I, I'm in a uh, in a fight with uh, not a, I, I, I engaged with the guy for about five minutes and then I got bored of it on Facebook. I've had a couple of reels go off for millions of views in the last couple of weeks, and people will just jump in and it's like. Another horseshit instructor who can't play the game of golf teaching yeah. him. You know, that guy was already good before he started teaching. I was like, all right, whatever. And uh, what do you think my shitty playing is? I mean, I, I've been in the 60s before, homie. I, can you beat that? You know, he's like, no, you can't. You can't break 80. I'm like, oh, whatever. And I let the conversation go. But uh, there's a few people who want their instructors to be able to go shoot 65 on the rake. But I just don't. I don't play enough yeah. golf to. I've played good golf in the in, in my day. I've proven myself. I've I've played a couple very low level professional tournaments. I wasn't going to make a living doing that. But it's a pressure for club pros because yes, you know, as a matter of fact, a lot of clubs, private clubs, will hire based on the uh, candidate's ability to play. But mm-hmm. then they also expect the person to run the shop, do the teaching, run the tournaments. So how much time does he or she have to play to actually keep their game sharp? I was able to do that when I was in New Orleans because I was young, no kids, no nothing. And I could sit there and work nine hours a day. And I still love golf so much that I wanted to go practice three, four hours after that. I kept my game sharp. But now I have no urge to go out and practice golf for three, four hours after I'm flying around, dealing with lounges teaching a lot, doing all the social media stuff. When I go play golf, I just want it to be fun. And I want to go see if I can break 75. That's my goal. I played, I played like a month ago and I shot 74. And that was my first round of golf in a year. I was like, nah, 
that will hold me over for the next two years. That's right. Not good. <laughs> I just I just have a few more questions, Chris, because I don't want to I don't want to kill your all day. We've been on here for over an hour or so. But one of the things I did want to mention because this kind of knocked me out of my chair with respect to the uh, the change in the golf ball. Rory McIlroy was quoted as saying, "Here's the quote: There's five to ten golf balls on the PGA Tour that the public doesn't have access to. They can't get in shops." So there's there's already a bifurcation of the ball. And he also made the same comment about clubs. The fact that they're playing, pros are playing with balls. I don't know whether they're juiced up or, but he's saying there are five to 10 balls on the PGA Tour that an average golfer can't buy, which just didn't seem right to me. He was quoted as saying that in a, in a golf publication. You think that's I, true? I am not aware of that. It, don't quote, it could be, but I, I'm not saying he's wrong. I, yeah. I'm not aware. I, clubs, yes. I mean, those things, you, you know, custom. those things are super custom yeah. to the player, but yeah. I don't know. About and, anyway, yeah, yeah, I'm going to check that out because I thought that was really interesting. There's just a couple, couple more questions. I mean, do you, do you get to take time off? Because, I mean, you are, your book solid, you're traveling. By the way, how many, how many uh, frequent flyer miles do you have? You must have quite a few. Uh, the most I've ever looked at an account and saw was... Four hundred and ninety-seven thousand, which I spent, and then quickly got back there. I got a lot. I go through. I can make millions of them a year. Okay, cool. Um, but but what do you, what do you do when you're not teaching and or filming or doing golf stuff? I play video games with boys. <laughs> oh, you have son? You have kids? No, no, no. With my buddies, I uh, oh, okay. no kids yet. But uh, I I think that's my. Uh, I mean, when I'm on the road, I've been known to. Pop into a bar for a, for a second, and uh, okay. that's, you know, that's I, a hobby. I, I've calmed down on that. Okay, that's a hobby. So, listen, um, two more questions. One is, I mean, you've talked a lot about how it's not an easy life what you're doing, although you enjoy it, which makes it palatable. But what what advice would you give some young man or or woman that's thinking about being a coach, either either at a club or any kind of pro, you know? job at a, at a club or, you know, opening their own practice, what advice would you give them other than run? <laughs> yeah. I, I would, first off, if you're thinking of getting in the golf industry, I'll, I'll preface that with learn how to teach because that's where the money is. Learn how to teach. Learn how to teach. Yeah. But uh, it, when you're trying to learn how to teach, I got a piece of advice from Butch Harmon years ago, and he told me, he's like, Look, we all have our theories and we all have everything, but look at what everyone is teaching and learn what they're teaching, appreciate what they're teaching, and then do what you want with that information off of your own beliefs. I thought that was good. He's like, never discount anyone's teachings just right away. Listen to what they have to say. I've done that my whole career and it served me well. I've listened to everyone. I haven't been pigeonholed into a swing theory. I've been a functions and matchups guy for as long as I can remember. I've never thought there was one way to do it. Even when I was teaching, getting back to our earlier conversation, when I was teaching people that had one way to do it, academies, and I was not doing the one way to do it and having to explain myself every day, just learning as much as you possibly can from everyone and building a theory, watching every good teacher that you possibly can. That's how you get better at teaching. Yeah. And experience. Is there any question I haven't asked you that you wanted to to cover? I think we we talked about a lot, but I will throw one more thing on that last conversation. I'm still trying to improve as a teacher. That's something that I work on. And and you know, one of the things that I don't think coaches 
work on enough is communication skills. Now, I have always been, we talked about how I was a hockey player, right? So a hockey coach is more of that gruff, you do, go do, fight, go do, do your job, you know, not is accepting. So I'm working on getting more into the millennials and and (laughs) trying to be more accepting of a process and not and, and like I've pushed my kids and I think everyone will all my kids have told me they appreciate that. Well it's I will tell you that one of the things that has always impressed yeah. me about your videos, your instructional videos, yeah, I, I is will that I will always when somebody does something right, you always um, say when, great when shot or they, I forget what you, you say something that, right I'll tell you all the time. Job. Like oh we're out there uh, or that can't remember like, the phrase but something like it's that. encouraging. No, but, which yeah. I, I think is really important. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I I I am working to congratulate more on the process. That's a new thing. I, but I think I think coming along with that is it's incredibly yeah, it's important like that, which is, for coaches is really, to learn how to communicate in different right. ways. So I'm adding new communication styles versus my old one that everyone knows me yeah. for. So that's that's one way you can work to constantly improve. I'm glad to hear you say that because I found that I've, I've had many golf lessons, maybe. 10 yeah. or 15 different instructors. And I found that some, some things that, that well, a particular teacher has been trying to get through to me and it hasn't worked. I'll go to another teacher and they'll just say something differently, you know, or they'll, they'll put a different thought in my head and I'll get, oh, now I know what. And then I'll say, oh, that's what that other guy was trying to say, but I didn't get it from the other guy because it's the way he yeah. communicated it to me that made me understand it. Because being built, perceive, I got and a also team to build me a website. Mind, I, your, your mind doesn't always, <laughs> your body doesn't always do what you think it's I doing. Finally, what you want it to do. Is I'm so, on last question: do uh, How do people? First of all, what, how come you don't have, have a website? One. I don't. I I, okay. I, I own it, you, but I don't. I think it's I think it's cHowardGolf.com, and I also think well, I own you know what the uh, HowardGolf. Do you know what the URL is so yet? So we can I tell. Think I own both of those. Uh, where, where time, they will be able but to find I don't it? know which one I'm going to go with. Okay. No. C Howard Golf. It's C Howard Golf on on pretty much everything now. Um, I've actually okay. bought been buying back my name, which is fun. So. Uh, I, I own okay. the Howard Golf people everything. There's like where they can one, get you on Instagram because I know you. I don't know what it is. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. And and if they Google Christopher Howard Golf, they'll I find am going videos to be doing a stuff. big tour that starts. So Chris, out in thanks for your time. Um, big I appreciate it. Really appreciate it. It's an interesting, fun conversation. Way, um, across the you're north, coming out in this from the area when all the way down July. to Norfolk, then up the East Coast, then back across Canada. Um, from like July 19th through or June 19th through um, July 10th. And I'll end in Seattle. I've sold out day one and I have two spots left for the day that's open. And that will be the last day I add because I got to get to Boston. All right. You still have spots open in yep. the New York uh, yep. area? Yep. Okay. This is your five person school concept, right? Okay. All right, I better check that out. I got to check my calendar, but more importantly, I got to check with my wife. Yeah. And do you know the Norfolk fight song? I might bring that up when I go down there. I got. I got to. We don't smoke. There we don't drink. Norfolk. 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 Wow. Yep. Now this. Now this is an R-rated video. Now a podcast. Good talking to you, and thanks for doing this. Thanks.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Golf Yeah, featuring another success story from the business side of golf. Maybe it's time to get more serious about making golf the center of your life, not just the highlight of your weekend. Head over to GolfYeah.com for more great content, including show notes, testimonials, and links to valuable resources. That's G-O-L-F-Y-E-A-H.com. 